This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the Gain, Grow, Retain Podcast, hosted by Jeff Brunsbach and Jay Nathan, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Gain, Grow, Retain is built to inspire SaaS and technology leaders who are facing day-to-day challenges of scaling. Jeff and Jay share conversations about growing and scaling subscription businesses with a customer-first approach. Check out all the episodes. Recently, they did one on onboarding. Such a key thing when you want to get going, keep and retain those clients. So listen to gain, grow, retain wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Whitney Johnson. She's the CEO of the tech-enabled talent development company, Disruption Advisors, one of the top 10 business thinkers in the world as named by Thinkers50. She's an expert at smart growth leadership. She co-founded the Disruptive Innovation Fund with Harvard Business School's late Clayton Christensen, and she's the author of a book we're going to talk about today, Smart Growth. How to grow your people to grow your company. So, Whitney, welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me. So, Clayton Christensen is probably the person that, you know, people that have been doing this as long as me hold up there is like, that's the first person that like said stuff that made sense to me. So, <laughs> so let's start with the S curve then and just kind of, yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of people have been exposed to it in various statistics classes or something mm-hmm. along those lines, but let's talk about how you're applying it to, to growth and to leadership. Yeah. So I was exposed to it in investing with Clayton. So yeah. we all have our, our place that we learned about it. And it's been around for a hundred years. And we used it to help us figure out how quickly an innovation would be adopted and trying to make investment buy and sell decisions. And as we were applying it for investing, I had this insight that we could use the S curve, not only to think about how groups change over time, but how individuals change over time. And every time you start something new, you start a new project, start a new job, you are at the base of that S and growth is happening, but it's gonna feel slow until you reach a tipping point or the knee of the curve and you move into the sweet spot, that steep, sleek back of the curve. And then you reach this place called mastery where growth starts to taper off. And my aha was, is that we could use it to understand the emotional arc of growth. And when we take on something new, it allows us to say, okay, if I know where I am in my growth, I know what's next. So that's how I'm applying it. So unfortunately, you know, while a lot of people accept this idea of, yes, so there's this point where it takes off, you know, there's a lot of times that's the point where it actually dives, nose dives too, right? Mm -hmm. We get through the hard part and now we've kind of outgrown our abilities. Does that Do you see that happening with personal development in the same way? Absolutely. And one of the things that was interesting to me is, as you have now surmised, I'm very steeped in disruptive innovation. And what we saw with disruption is that even if you were going to pursue a disruptive course and your odds of success increased by six times, that went from 6% to 36%. So there was still a 64% chance that it wasn't going to work. And it's going to be similar when you decide, I'm going to jump to this brand new S-curve. I'm going to do something new. There are, There's a large possibility that you'll decide this curve isn't for me or this is not yeah. going to work. And so one of the things that I recommend is at the launch point, you have this explorer phase of deciding, do I even want to be here? Whether you 
decided to jump or were pushed, but then you've got to go through this collection phase. And that's that place where you say, I do want to be here, but can I get the resources that I need from this ecosystem in order to accelerate into the sweet spot? So I've owned my own business for um, coming up on 30 years. And one of the things I've realized is that I'm constantly in about 47 S-curves at any given time is what it feels like to me. I don't feel like there's one S-curve of growth. Yeah. I feel like there's everywhere. So mm-hmm. how do, I mean, I think it's I think it's easy for people to sort of oversimplify this idea of, oh, here's where we are on the curve. Mm-hmm. But how do, I mean, what, what's your view of it? I mean, do you feel like that's a reality or is that just me being psychotic? <laughs> I think that the S-curve is a fractal, that you can think of your life as an S-curve, you can think of your career as an S-curve, you can think of a job as an S-curve, and then within that job, you've got roles and then projects, and so you can continue to drill down. And to your question specifically, once you start to say, okay, well, where am I in my role on the S-curve overall, everything that's required of me, but it very much is a portfolio of curves that you are going to have a number of different curves that you're on within your work. And if most of them allow for you to be in the sweet spot, then you can say in aggregate, you're in the sweet spot. And if you think yeah. about your life, you're balancing yeah. your portfolio of S curves where you've got your career, maybe it's a really steep curve. So in your personal life, maybe you don't want quite as steep of a curve. So you're putting together that portfolio. I have a background in investing. So I do think in portfolios. To answer your question, yes, we're on multiple curves. You want to balance them so you're not you know, only on the launch point for all of your curves or only in mastery, but to, to create that balanced portfolio. I've, I've actually referred to it as seasons. I feel like, you know, businesses go through seasons, you know, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not annual linear necessarily, but they're, I think it's kind of what you're describing, isn't it? It's like, okay, now we're in this gathering, you know, yeah. period, you know, because then that's going to produce, you know, fruit. I feel like that uh, is something almost tangible. Oh, I love that. I love that metaphor. So, and I love talking about growth. And as you can see, our our listeners can't see, but I've got behind me botanical prints of strawberries and peaches because we grow raspberries and strawberries, et cetera. But if if you wanted to pull that metaphor, you could argue that at the launch point, that's the spring and that's the time where you are planting. And then you're going to move into the summer which is a sweet spot where you've got that bountiful, you know, everything's growing and then you're going to start to harvest when you get into mastery. And then when that decision's made to do something new, you're going to go dormant. There's going to, there's this period of latency where you're quiet and it's the winter as you start to think about moving to your new curve. So, so the subtitle of the book, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company, would imply that this is a book about leadership. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that as I read it, I was like, no, this is about personal development. <laughs> so, that, Oh, is you that... are very astute. <laughs> <laughs> it's both. Yeah. Let me tell you, there, there was a study that came out recently from Agon Zender that surveyed a thousand CEOs and the thousand CEOs strongly agreed that to transform the organization, they needed to transform themselves. Sure. 80% strongly agreed. And so my whole premise, my thesis is that if you want to lead an organization, and we talk a lot about how to grow your team and grow your organization in the book, but it always starts with you. The fundamental unit of growth is the individual. And so I purposely wrote this book so that if you only care about personal growth, then you just read the narrative and you can get that. But if you do care about growing your team, 
and your organization, then we've got these interludes that are very practical, very actionable on how to do that. But yes, you are right. This (laughs) starts with you as the individual. Yeah. Because really, without a great deal of self-awareness, you're probably not going to be a great leader, right? No. (laughs) So are there some... I'm sure this is like a lot of things, you know, people read this book and they go, we've got to do this, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. at our company, right? So yeah. are, what are some of the first kind of new habits or questions maybe that that people need to start asking themselves as, you know, instead of just saying, okay, this is the new way? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that question because I believe in setting small, ridiculously small goals. I read Atomic Habits and you probably did too. I was going to quote that in one of my questions, actually. (laughs) Well, there you go. So yeah. So what I recommend you do is if you find yourself thinking, oh, this model makes sense to me and it is purposely simple. It is purposely visual because that makes it useful. What I would say to you is just get out a piece of paper and draw the S and say to yourself, where am I on this S? Yeah. And then have a conversation with a person, a colleague, a person on your team and say, where do you think you are on the S? Now we have an assessment tool that you can use, yeah. but you yeah. asked me a simple way to start. Yeah. That's where you'd start is you draw it out. You have a conversation and then you can plot where your team is. But that initial spark of just drawing that curve and talking about where do you think you are that orients yourself orients you, orients your team, and you can start to have a very robust conversation about growth and the growth upside you see in this role in your organization. So this leads me to my James Clear moment, as a matter of fact. So you just talked about orienting yourself, and I, and I suspect that there is a point, I, I think people probably can orient themselves in the sweet spot and they probably can orient themselves in the getting started. It's that messy middle that sometimes is really long, boring mm-hmm. slog. And uh, one of the things that that James puts in, in Atomic Habits is that a lot of times people are successful not because they have better goals, but because they can tolerate boredom. Because that's a lot of what, it, you know, we get tired of the stuff. We don't want to do it anymore, even if it's working. So, you know, how, what, what advice do you, I, first off, I guess I have to ask you if you agree with that assessment, but mm-hmm. If you do, you know, what, you know, what does allow people to get through that long part where you're not seeing any advancement necessarily? And so you don't really know where you are. Yeah, it's a great question. And what I would say is I wouldn't necessarily call that the messy middle because I think when you're in the sweet spot, that's where you're exhilarated and you've got this optimized tension of it's hard, but not too hard. So you're feeling this sense of, of competence and autonomy and relatedness. I think what you're referring to is when you're at the launch point and you've made the decision, hey, I'm going to do this and growth is happening, but it's not yet apparent. It's like the the lily pads in a pond. Like there's one and then there's two and there's four, but oh, there's not very many pads in the pond. And so what I recommend you do there is number one is know psychologically what's happening is that you are at the launch point. It is going to feel like a slog. And that helps you talk yourself through the impatience that you feel. But then to your James Clear, our James Clear moment to make things (laughs) clear is if you think about what's happening in your brain, whenever you do something new, you're running a predictive model. And so at the launch point, you're running this model and you're making lots of predictions, most of which are inaccurate. And so your dopamine (laughs) is dropping a lot and that is not fun. And so what you can do is you can set those small ridiculously small goals. Like for example, I'm learning Korean right now. 
Am I studying? Well, because I love K-dramas, but am I studying 30 minutes a day? No, I have an app. I pull out Duolingo and maybe I do 30 seconds a day. Maybe I do three minutes, but I've done it for 103 straight days. And so what happens is when that goal is really small, you can hit it every day. You can oftentimes beat it. And when you beat goals, guess what happens? dopamine, ding. And so it's that ability to have those small goals, beat those small goals at the launch point that allows you to basically gamify it and move through the slog of that place where growth is not apparent until you hit that sweet spot and things become exhilarating. And now let's hear from a sponsor. Running a business is a lot like, I don't know, running a pirate ship. You've got your eye on the prize and the entire crew to coordinate. With customizable options, HubSpot CRM platform is carefully crafted in-house so your business can keep running in ship shape. Its powerful suite of marketing tools work seamlessly together so you and your teams can deliver a better experience for your customers. Consider it a treasure map with a very clear X marks the spot. With HubSpot, Save, reuse, and share your best performing emails with your team for a faster and more consistent way to communicate with prospects. Use social media tools to schedule and publish updates, monitor terms, and analyze performance. You can even use bot builders to create robust, automated, multi-channel campaigns. Learn how to grow better by connecting your people, your customers, and your business at HubSpot.com. So you have a lot of, you break kind of the stages down into a lot of things that you should mm-hmm. be doing or paying attention to, or I talked about maybe new habits and I'll just let you um, kind of talk about how it applies is collect like a child. <clears throat> you know, I've always told people, I think curiosity is really, mm-hmm. you know, my superpower. I mean, I'd love mm-hmm. to see how things start, how they work, why they don't work, why something is out of place. And so that to me, I was like, well, yeah, I just do that instinctively, but talk a little bit about that how a leader, you know, or somebody trying to develop personally mm-hmm. can apply that idea. Well, first of all, I want to flag for you that is a superpower. Whenever someone says, "Hey, I just do this instinctively," that is telling me, "Oh yeah, that's a strength. Not everybody does that." Just a reminder. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, just want to want to say that one of the things that, that a child does that around the curiosity is first of all, they, and we would go into something and say, I just want to understand what this is. I just want to figure this out. And at that point, there's very little ego and your identity is not on the line. And so, for example, I can remember when I was three or four years old, our family had gone to see The Sound of Music. And I came home and we had an upright piano and I started to figure out how do I play Do, Re, Mi on the piano? There was no question in my mind of like, will I not be able to do it? Will I look dumb if I can't figure it out? None of that identity ego was part of the equation. And so collecting like a child is to be at the launch point and say, I like this curve. I, I want to be here. I now have to get the data that would tell me, can I get the resources that I need? And, and I'm going to, be able to gain momentum here and just to collect that data and not have it be a referendum on your identity. It's just data. Can I get the resources? Do I enjoy this? If the answer is yes, then I keep going. If the answer is no, then I stop. It's not about my ego. It's just about iterating and learning and growing and developing. And so that's the collecting like a child where the ego is out of the equation. 
So, so it may actually be a superpower. My parents didn't always think it was. Then it definitely is. <laughs> so, you, you know, the personal development part, I think, you know, people are going to grow by reading this book. The leadership part in some ways is, might be harder to install in an organization because mm. there's so many, there's so many culture aspects that I'm, that keep coming up for me as, you know, just that collect like a child, giving people permission to do mm. that doesn't always happen at organizations, does it? Yeah. No, it doesn't. And I think that one of the things that is increasingly apparent to me, the more experienced I get in life is that so often we'll say, well, I think this, using this as a tool to think about growth is a great idea, but can you persuade my manager? Right. And the answer <laughs> is no, I can't persuade your manager. Um, but you can. And the way that you can is if you will start with you. And if you will start to implement this idea with the people on your team, yeah. And to collect those data points, because when you're persuading someone to do something new, you are effectively asking them to jump to a new S curve, which is scary. They don't want to do it. And so what you're doing is you're packing a parachute for them to make it safe for them to do that new thing. Yeah. And you make it safe by you being a proof point, by being the people on your team being a proof point. And something as simple as drawing an S and having a conversation that's not very scary. Yeah. That's pretty easy to do. And so you have more control than you think you do and start with something so simple, so ridiculously small. It's pretty tough to say, well, I don't want to listen. No, it's something simple. You can start there. So you fill this book with a lot of interviews of people that you talk to that you know kind of are, are doing some of this. This is probably a difficult question, so I'll let you break it up if you want. You know, is there a story in the book, or is there a person that you've talked to since you know reading the book, even that you feel like has really kind of nailed this approach and brought this approach to their organization, and it's made a difference? Yeah. I do actually. So, and they're not in the book. So it's a company called Chatbooks. They're in Provo, Utah, and they turn Instagram photos into, oh, yeah. or actually yeah. Lehigh, Utah, they turn Instagram photos into books. And they have been around for about seven years. It's a great culture. People like to work there. And because people like to work there, they had a lot of people who were getting to the top of the S curve. They were reaching mastery. And so we administered our S curve tool. And our CEO said, Whitney, this is really helpful because it's giving us a language to talk about our experience. Three examples specifically what happened. One person, the chief marketing officer said, now I understand the experience I'm having. It's not that I don't like working here. It's not that I don't like you as a boss. It's just that I'm at the top of my curve. I'm not mm. growing anymore. Right. I need to do something new. And so it depersonalized her jumping to a new curve at a different company. In another instance, you had the president who was presumably on a new curve, but he was bumping up against the scope of the CEO that allowed them to have a conversation said, Hey, CEO, go jump to your curve so that I've got headroom on my curve again, allowed them to have a conversation. And then the third thing that happened was the CTO who uh, had been there for several years was taking on some new responsibilities that were putting him at the launch point. And he was kind of uncomfortable because he's supposed to be the expert. Yeah. It gave him a way to say, Hey, everybody, doing something new. I'm at the launch point. It's supposed to be uncomfortable and awkward and gangly. And it gave him permission and then also could talk his team through that. And so very simple language to talk about the experience that people were having. Well, that's, a, that's such a great example too, because very different outcomes for all yes. of them, but all of them, even if they were painful because they caused change, all of them very positive. Right. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So, so when you tell people where they can find out, I, I know the book's available anywhere, but where they can find out more about your work as well. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So one easy place is to go to WhitneyJohnson.com and or to our podcast, Disrupt Yourself. But WhitneyJohnson.com is the easiest place to start. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out to stop by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. And hopefully we'll run into you in person one of these days out there on the road. Oh, thank you, John, for having me. All right. So that wraps up another episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And you know, we love those reviews and comments and just generally tell me what you think. Also, did you know that you could offer the duct tape marketing system, our system to your clients and build a complete marketing, consulting, coaching business, or maybe level up an agency with some additional services? That's right. Check out the duct tape marketing consultant network. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that offer our system to your clients tab.